0: This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that demystifies history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're exploring the life and death of William Henry Harrison, the man with the briefest tenure in U.S. presidential history, whose true cause of death remains the subject of dispute. The day was April 4, 1841. President William Henry Harrison died after serving only 32 days in office. It was, and still is, the shortest term of any American president, Harrison's official cause of death was listed as pneumonia of the lower lobe of the right lung, complicated by congestion of the liver. However, Thomas Miller, the doctor who wrote that explanation, wasn't convinced of its accuracy himself. He went on to say that the illness wasn't a pure case of pneumonia, and that there were quote, innumerable questions as to the nature of the attack. It took nearly two centuries, but modern scholars now think they may have finally found the answers. Harrison was the first U.S. president to die in office, but he was also the last president to have been born as a British subject prior to the American Revolution. He was born on February 9, 1773, at Berkeley Plantation in Virginia. He was the seventh child of a prominent political family and grew up with all wants provided. In 1791, he began studying medicine at a college in Richmond, but before the end of the year, he abandoned his degree and joined the army instead. Over the next decade, Harrison made a name for himself during the Indian Wars of the Northwest Territories, so much so that in 1801, he was appointed governor of that sizable region. This eventually led him to open conflict with Tecumseh, the area's leading Native American chief, after Harrison and his settlers began encroaching on land belonging to the Shawnee, the bitter dispute culminated in the Battle of Tippecanoe, when Harrison and about 950 US troops overwhelmed and decimated a Native American camp while Tecumseh was away recruiting allies. This brutal attack alongside the Tippecanoe River quickly became the talk of the nation. Not everyone agreed with Harrison's actions, but many did. His fans took to calling him Tippecanoe, and Harrison would later capitalize on the nickname during his run for president. He and his Whig Party running mate, John Tyler, coined the campaign slogan Tippecanoe and Tyler Too. After gaining even more notoriety during the War of 1812, Harrison was elected as a senator for Ohio. He then served as the ambassador to Columbia, before finally launching his bid for the presidency in 1840. Harrison and Tyler's campaign was quite a shock to the political establishment of the era. Prior to Harrison, presidential candidates had never actively campaigned for themselves, viewing self-promotion as undignified. However, Harrison and Tyler had no such misgivings. While the incumbent president, Martin Van Buren, sat cooped up in the White House, his opponents set to work convincing voters that Harrison was a man of the people. In public, he portrayed himself as a tough-as-nails frontiersman, despite the fact that he came from a pretty posh Virginian family. His campaign took out ads showing what was supposedly his own log cabin, along with a big barrel of hard cider right out front. The ads billed Harrison as the log cabin and hard cider candidate, a man who lived and drank just like a regular guy, or in other words, someone you could have a beer with. To really sell this idea, Harrison and Tyler started holding giant rallies in town after town, sometimes with as many as 60,000 people in attendance. At the events, Supporters took part in log-rolling competitions, and Harrison himself handed out free hard cider in custom log-cabin-shaped bottles. Subtle or not, the plan worked perfectly, and Harrison easily beat out Van Buren to become the ninth president of the United States. Harrison took the oath of office on March 4, 1841, a bitterly cold and extremely wet winter day. I mention the weather because, for a long time, many historians believe that's what ultimately led to Harrison's death. And when you look at the details, that story seems to fit. Harrison was 68 years old at the time, the oldest first-term president until Ronald Reagan in 1981. Despite both his age and the bad weather, Harrison made a series of reckless decisions that day probably to prove that he really was as tough as his campaign had claimed. For starters, he insisted on riding to the ceremony on horseback, rather than inside a covered carriage. He also refused to wear a coat, hat, or gloves when delivering his inaugural address. This was a crucial misstep, as Harrison also insisted on giving the longest inaugural speech in U.S. history. It spanned 8,445 words and took him nearly two hours to deliver. When it was finally over, Harrison rode through the streets of Washington in the inaugural parade. Then he stood in a three-hour receiving line at the White House, shaking hands with guests, many of whom were likely still soaking wet. Later that evening, Harrison attended three separate inaugural balls in his honor, and drank rather liberally at all of them. Three weeks later, Harrison woke up feeling fatigued and anxious. He sent for his doctor, Thomas Miller, and began receiving treatment for what was assumed to be pneumonia. Miller tried several standard cures of the day, including the application of leeches, castor oil, and opium. He also gave Harrison periodic enemas for good measure, But like the rest of the treatments, this only seemed to make things worse. After eight days of delirium and pain, Harrison died on April 4th, 1841. It was his 32nd day as president. With all that in mind, it makes sense why people would connect Harrison's long winded speech with his fatal case of pneumonia. But as I mentioned earlier, that's no longer the most credible explanation for his death. For one thing, Harrison didn't complain of anxiety and fatigue until more than three weeks into his presidency. And according to Miller's notes, the president's abdominal discomfort and constipation were far more severe and persistent than the discomfort in his lungs, which is not the norm for pneumonia. So if it wasn't pneumonia that killed him, what did? The current thinking is that the real culprit may have been typhoid fever, a bacterial disease spread through contaminated food and water. In President Harrison's case, he likely came in contact with the deadly bacteria through the White House's water supply. In the 1840s, there was no sewer system in Washington, D.C. Instead, all the sewage in the city had to be rounded up each day and then hauled away to a nearby marsh to be dumped. For obvious reasons, this work was confined to the evening hours, once the sun had gone down. And for that reason, the, uh, cargo became known as night soil. In an example of poor planning, the night soil marsh was located just seven blocks upstream from where the White House drew its water. The kind of gastrointestinal sickness that Harrison went through is commonly linked to at least two different bacteria that would have been found there. This has led researchers to theorize that bacteria had seeped into drinking water, causing Harrison's severe illness and his eventual death. As for why only Harrison himself would be affected by the water, it's believed that his chronic dyspepsia made him more susceptible to the tainted water. But also, Harrison wasn't the only one affected. Both James Polk and Zachary Taylor also dealt with gastroenteritis while living in the White House with Taylor even dying in office, just like Harrison. Harrison's untimely death created a sudden power vacuum in Washington. At the time, there were no rules in place for presidential succession. No one had ever died in office before, and the Constitution was mute on the matter. The practice of the vice president assuming the role wasn't formally adopted until the passage of the 25th Amendment in the 1960s. So in 1841, The country was in uncharted territory and vice president john taylor decided to take advantage of that uncertainty rather than wait for congress and the supreme court to figure out a solution tyler got a district judge to swear him in as president right in his hotel room just two days after harrison's demise so effectively john tyler made himself president Though you could argue that the 25th Amendment later vindicated his actions, even if that was hundred and twenty-four years later. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.